0: Hey everyone, this is Paul Siegel, and you're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs comes to you live every Sunday at 1pm Eastern, and you can catch us on twitch.tv wanderingdms, or youtube.com wanderingdms live. And now, on with the show. Hey there, welcome to Wandering DMs. I am Dan, and I'm going to be hosting Solo this week. Paul will be back next week. Uh, Our show is brought to you with the help of our friends at Describe with a special offer to our viewers, but more on that later. So first of all, happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Uh, Of course, we are uh, broadcasting here live on Valentine's Day. And for a special holiday event, we thought that it would be fun to have... uh, disinvited brooklyn-based artist Isabel garbani back on the show uh, to talk about her research that she's been doing on food and disease in the middle ages uh, because that's what we are like here <laughs> so happy valentine's day again uh, and what we did here is we pre-taped this special event in Isabel's kitchen yesterday uh, and it's a bit of an extended show, it goes about 90 minutes or so, so we hope that, uh, we hope that you'll enjoy that and stick around for that. Um, as we premiere it live here on YouTube and Twitch, uh, I'll be in the live chat, so I should be able to respond to um, any questions that you might have along the way, which, which I'll look forward to. And without further, further ado, without further ado, there we go, love being live, uh, here's your feature presentation, Eat Plague Love. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, Isabel Garbani, welcome to Wandering the Ems.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: So, of course, this is our very special Eat, Play, Love show, uh, and we're so delighted that uh, viewer Jerry McDonald gave us that uh, that wonderful, wonderful idea for the show. Brilliant. So, of course, Isabel, let's talk about you a little bit. You are a fine artist living in Brooklyn. That's right. Uh, I've heard that
1: I was disinvited, and yet I'm invited again.
0: Well, as a reminder to right. viewers, we had Isabel on in season one of *Wandering DMs* for the art in D&D show, in That's which right. we were mostly focused on uh, uh, art in the 1970s in D&D, and we had a little bit of a dispute on camera um, <laughs> over particular particular artwork, yep. um, and Isabel was officially disinvited from the show, That's right. uh, which we felt bad about. But you've been given a pardon. <laughs> And Isabella is now officially re-invited to the show here in season three for Eat Play Glove, and we Could are change looking, again, of course,
1: at the end of the show. We're know. looking
0: forward to a very long and productive uh, uh, collegial cooperation with you going forward. Very good. So welcome, welcome back. To Thank you very much for wondering, BMS. So one thing I'll point out is that in the last um, uh, year or so, you've pivoted your artwork to food-based art. That's right. Uh, why? Why did you do that?
1: So the past couple of years have been a little rough and you know, I'm trying to find something new in art, you know, I'm trying to kind of like um, uh, spark my creativity again and, and you know trying new things. Um, so in the past year, I've actually enrolled in the baking and pastry program at Kingsborough Community College. And uh, you can see here, uh, first try at making a, a sculpture with modeling chocolate. So this is a, a copy, or inspired uh, by the lions in front of the uh, New York Public Library, right. um, originally right. sculpted by, uh, by Potter, um, and, you know, I made my own, you know, I went on the internet, got a recipe for modeling chocolate, and just made that. And I'm gonna make a mold of it and see if I can cast it in chocolate, and uh, you know we'll see what happens.
0: That is really impressive. Is like a first a first attempt at food art. That is <laughs> that is really. If I if I was hiring, I would be like, wow, that's amazing. Um, and of course, uh, you're in the uh, the the, uh, the cooking program at Kingsboro, which is part of CUNY here, City University of New York. Um, and uh, cooking program is one of uh, I think I know is one of Kingsboro's um, uh, uh, jewels in the crown. Yeah. yeah, pretty well regarded actually. Yeah, very good um, program. Wonderful yeah.
1: kitchen. Wonderful uh, professors. Wonderful chefs. Um, really having a you know a really good time. Yeah. Um, you should send them a link to this show for extra credit. <laughs> <laughs> I should actually. I'm a total brown noser. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So this this is one of Wandering DM shows a little bit of a historical dive actually. So we're going to talk a little bit about historical Middle Ages stuff that uh, you know you and I weren't totally familiar with before we started right. digging into this. And we've both done research and we're excited about it. And um, uh, at the maybe at, you know deeper or at the end we'll bring it back to how you can use this in uh, your gaming uh, in D and D or other role playing games and how this could be ideas to feed into your gaming that you might not otherwise think about. Uh, so the this particular historical dive comes out of you and me both reading parts of what's called the Decameron, right. which is a Middle, Age, made, Middle Ages text. And I think we both found this um, in a New York Times article. That's right. Uh, end of last year, I guess, by Michael Snyder called What We Eat During a Plague. Right. But the Decameron, uh, tell us a little bit about what that is.
1: So the Decameron was uh, written by Boccaccio and. Um, I think a year or two after the black death was basically over. Um, So, you know, he was witness to all of that. And, you know, it's believed that he actually wrote it a year after his father died, probably of the plague. Um, So basically 10 young nobles from Florence decide that they're going to leave Florence during the time of pestilence and they're going to spend some time on their country estate and tell stories to each other. Um, and the seven women, three men, and they each gonna tell one story every day and they're gone for 10 days. They, they wanna get away from Florence, kind of like recharge their batteries, not think about death, not think about, you know, terrible news that is um, happening every day. Um, and so the Decameron is basically all the stories that they, that they tell throughout their, their stay um, in the countryside. And some of them are silly, um, some of them are tragic, some of them are funny, some of them are about love and makes them cry. Um, and, you know, in the background of all of that, they're going to have, uh, they're going to spend their time as pleasantly as possible. So they're going to go for walks in the garden. They're going to have good food. And the servants are specifically told not to give them any news about what's going on in Florence. They don't want to hear about death. They don't want to hear about the plague. They don't want to hear about diseases. They just kind of want to, uh, you know, again, like recharge the batteries and kind of relax, um, and have you know, a pleasant time together.
0: Interesting. Now to be clear, the, the ten the ten nobles we're talking about, are they real people? Are they fictional people?
1: I believe they're fictional people right. based on supposedly real people, but the names into the, the camera are completely fictional. Right. Yeah.
0: So it's kind of a it's kind of a framing device. Yeah. There's a total of a hundred stories. So ten yeah. stories times ten days is a total of a hundred stories in there. And it's kind of a framing device for these uh, vignettes, mm-hmm. uh, that are sometimes silly or sometimes, you know, touching, um, and a little bit like other stuff, like, like a thousand and one nights kind of exactly. has the same framing device of one character who's telling a bunch of stories, uh, in an otherwise possibly traumatic situation, right. actually. Um, you know, one thing that comes to my mind around this framing device is, must be nice to be in the elites that you can just leave town and go to your country estate and have a bunch right. of servants uh, serve you and protect you and be right.
1: you know protected from the, the the ongoing problems. Right. Well, and you know, and actually, that's interesting that you say that because the introduction by Boccaccio, right. you know, he actually you know spent a little bit of time giving you the background of what's going on in Florence and how people are reacting to the plate and yeah. who's doing what. Yeah. And you find a lot of parallels to what's going on in the pandemic right now. Right. So you have people who have money and they have country estates and they leave, you know. So we've had a lot of people, you know, spending the entire pandemic in yeah. their Hamptons house. Right. You know, must be nice, right. you know, just leave New York. You don't have to deal with all the crowd. Right. Um, then you have people who completely ignore the plague. They're gonna go have a good time and they're gonna you know, drink and make merry and eat a lot. You know, and, you know, maybe those are the equivalent of the anti-maskers, you know, like people who just like are just not going to believe that this is happening. Um, And then you have the rest of us, you know, who just have to kind of like deal with it and, you know, try to navigate this whole thing as best as we can. You know, some people isolate more than others. Some people try to eat better. Some people just go to comfort food. Some people just go to excesses of like, you know, I'm just going to eat things that are going to make me feel good, like, you know, chocolate and chips and ice cream and whatnot um so you know to me it's kind of interesting that there's this parallel and we haven't really changed you know how we behave in in a really stressful situation um you know so the people who can escape can and the rest of us you know deal with it in many many different ways it's um, funny how you know we
0: find like like i think you and find me find uh and many of us find the, these you know we're living in a you know, historical moment that will be in, you know, history books and people will be talking about it for a long time. And we feel that, you know, we're a modern society and we're different. And then we go and we touch back to something like stories from the 1918 plague Mm -hmm. or uh, the Decameron here, which, again, yeah. we're talking 14th century, I think, like 1390s. Uh, is
1: the plague was actually 1348. Oh, OK. OK. Yeah. Right, okay. That's, that's when it started in, in, in Italy, Okay, you know, and then, you know, was basically in Europe for about a couple of years. Right. Right. Um, okay. so I was only off by about 50 years. Give me mean, right. Right? See, this is why we do it. this is why We'll fix
0: that in post, right? Is that what we do here? No, or is, no, you, no, we don't. No,
1: there's no one fixing it in post. Right.
0: <laughs> now I've got two errors. So anyway, so so the 1300s uh, 14th century and and all this these experiences and these problems and these responses are all familiar and then you can, we you know if we read um, um, uh, oh Lord, uh what you made the tapestry project off of originally. Um see I got on this sh- oh, uh, Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh is what yes. I'm thinking, right? If you read the Gilgamesh yeah. story, right, all the emotions and all the problems and all the responses are just like they're they're, they're totally inside me. Right? right. They're they're amazingly fresh and human. Right. And um uh, we, we, we keep finding we keep finding these these stories um really being commentary about us this very day that we're recording this to a, to a surprising degree. If someone wants to read the Decameron on their own, where would they go to find that?
1: So a lot of the research that I did for, you know, in preparation for this show, um, there's a project and I think you, I I gave you the link. It's called the Decameron web. And Brown university, um, has started a project, I think in the mid nineties. So it's been going on for about 25 years. Um, you can find all the stories there with translation. You can find, um, background on the plague, um, you know, uh, literary commentary on the Decameron itself, um, a lot of research about the plague that's actually very new. So, you know, um, scholars keep adding articles to that. And it's really, really interesting. Um, And, you know, it's a very quick read if you want to, and then there are links to, you know, articles and, you know, the actual scholarly you know research and studies that people have done so if you want to dig deeper you can you can cool. do that too cool um, so you know just just google the Cameron web uh, from Brown University and and you'll find it um, and I think you'll you'll put the link on online as yeah, well. yeah we're
0: talking about a whole bunch of stuff and as usual I will uh, be putting links in the description. In the YouTube archive, so you can just go under the uh, look in the description under, under the YouTube video that you're currently watching and you'll see links right. to the, the Brown University site for the Decameron. And of course, the Decameron originally written in Italian, medieval Italian, mm-hmm. to be clear. Right. And then there's a couple translations there. Actually, there's like right. a medieval English and then there's a uh, early 20th century English right. version, I think, right. there. Sir, so before we get into the, the the food aspect, which is really the the meat and potatoes oh, of what we wanted to get to <laughs> what today, you're doing <laughs> right? <laughs> I should have my own show. Um, let's talk about the storytelling aspect, right? So, okay. so the framing device is you're gonna you're gonna hear a hundred stories uh, in this horrible Black Death bubonic plague situation, and they they kind of bounce back and forth between describing our characters uh food and fees that they're eating and the stories that they're telling um and so um so obviously it's a terrible situation right, right. It's, it's the most terrible situation that's ever happened in the black death half of everyone in europe died right right in, a, in just a couple of years 50 percent fatality rate for the entire continent which is almost unimaginable and maybe something we're not going to get into today but of course that completely revolutionized society and economics and what work was like and what the what the economy was like after that and that's a whole different that's a whole different show but you know one of the one of the largest disasters that's that's ever befallen people so it's it feels at first blush it feels a little weird to dig into the decameron and have a bunch of frankly funny silly stories mostly right. Right. A bunch of like jokey There's a judge that gets deep pants. There's a there's a nun that puts her illicit lover's pants on her head by mistake instead of her normal headwear and stuff like that. And so at first blush, it feels jarring that, you know, why aren't you paying attention to this, this uh, the enormity of the situation? And, um, you know, the author, like you're saying in the intro, does have a rather concrete description of what the plague's actually like in Florence. And it's really harrowing. Like, oh, yeah. it's actually really harrowing. Oh, it's very and scary. There's a description of the corpses being dragged out. And what I realized is that it is smashingly like the the scene in Monty Python's Holy Grail of the, the Bring Out Your Dead scene. Bring Out right? Your Dead, yeah, exactly. Which seems, when I first saw it, seems totally over the top. Right. Right. It seems like it carts through the street, halt, putting you know right. six, half a dozen bodies on. Right. That is an actual real description. Right. But down to the number of bodies per cart. Right. Um, that you get in the, the introduction of the Cameron. It's really harrowing. And then like for the Monty Python situation that most of us are familiar with, they turn that into a big joke. I've never seen that event portrayed except as a joke. Right, right. It's it's too horrible to think about in reality. Right. right. So it's almost like the only way that we can we can parse that is 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 in jokes and things like that. Right. Um. Did did that occur to
1: you while you were reading those parts that the Cameron? Uh, yes and no. I mean, you know, um, if you if you've ever gone to a funeral, um, you know, there's usually a be- a big get together. You know, after the actual. Um, you know, funeral itself.
0: Right.
1: And it will invariably turn into people laughing. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And you kind of feel guilty about it, but at the same time, um, it's very hard to process the finality of death and, you know, this just catastrophic situation that they're that they're into and there's no cure and they know there's no cure. Nothing is working. They know that medicine is just not prepared for the calamity that they're dealing with.
0: And we're talking Black Death specifically. We're talking about yeah, Black
1: Death specifically. Like, yeah. And you know, if you're talking about COVID, it's the same, you know, it's like we actually yeah. don't have yeah. a cure for it. You yeah. know, we can, you know, make sure that people survive, right. you know, um, but we don't actually have a cure for right. it. So, you know, it's very hard to really confront your, 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 um, your mortality in this way and 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 how do you deal with that you know well laughter is is probably going to be the best way you're going to be able to process that you know and it's a very strange way to process you know those events but I think you know humanity is is just we're we're just not physically prepared emotionally prepared to really take that head on you know and at the end of the the Decameron they actually are able to tell stories that are sad and they right. are able to cry and they are able right. to tell stories that are happening in Florence, you know, right. at the time, you know. So they kind of like very slowly bring it back yeah. to what is actually happening. But, you know, the initial um, uh, state that they have, you know, they, they don't want to talk about it. They just can't talk about it. Yeah. And maybe we can talk about the humors in medieval medicine, you know, and maybe that could be a segue for that. Yeah. Um,
0: let, let, let's just put a pin that i totally wanted okay. to get into that and there'll be, there'll be a quiz later. Um, <laughs> quiz later. But yeah. so, so, and it, but it's a very, the, the, the storytelling arc in the Decameron is an interesting transition that you're talking about from start off with really the silliest stuff right. and then transition over it to now we're talking about um, maybe failed love stories maybe right. in the middle. Right. And then things, you know, things that are like cosmically fantastic you know places or something like that and at the end you're talking about you know actual families actually in Florence not specifically about the plague but things that are closer to us and I think that's a bit of an observation we both got from another another New York Times article by who is that Uh, Rivka Galchen right there's an article by Rivka Galchen about the decameron which is really great and one of the things that I thought was really interesting in that article by Galchen was that person has a six-year-old daughter currently Um, Go on going through the pandemic in 2020. And among the things that they've they've seen is that the daughter can't really process the pandemic in concrete terms so much. But what they are doing is is the daughter has a bunch of miniature figurines (laughs) for the kids. (laughs) Right. And they've started putting armor on their figurines right. with like foil from uh, bubblegum wrappers and stuff like that and making armor and protective masks and wrapping the figurines in cotton right. to protect their miniature figures from the plague. And then the, the, apparently the daughters also got in, uh, heavily into a young uh, fiction series called, and I hadn't heard of this before, the, the Wings of Fire series, which is a series about a bunch of dragons right. working to fulfill a prophecy to end war. Right, um, and so once again, here's here's a, a, a tough time for young people, and we're turning to stories of fantasy. And and apparently, the daughter is also making elaborate combat scenarios that the author can't figure out what they're doing. Is actually part of it. it. Right. Um, and making up your own systems that you kind of have control over, and turning to stories of dragons. Um, and here, here it is a coming back to us all over again. Right. Right. For those of us who are deep into fantasy or role playing or D and D or something like that, it's a very, it, you know, you couldn't feel more close to someone trying to process and trying to survive using those kinds of those kinds of thoughts. Right. right. So I thought the storytelling arc. Um, in the Decameron was very was very interesting for that purpose right. of it feels very it, again it feels very familiar and it feels like here we are again. Now to be prepared, so before we so now we're going about to transition to the food story, which <laughs> is what we're really where we want to get today. But I, I failed to mention at the top of the show we are we're pre-taping this right, yes. because unfortunately you're busy. I'm uh, waiting for the man the tomorrow. Show. There you go. But we are planning <laughs> on um, uh, broadcasting this show. For Valentine's Day, 2021. So all of our talk about the plague and death and disease and funerals was our idea for the best possible show that we could do for <laughs> Valentine's Day, 2021.
1: But you know, in our defense, Dan made cookies and uh, I bought brownies, so yes. you know, we yes. we we're not, you know, complete monsters.
0: Great. Now I will say, so 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 I made so I'm still wearing the the official Wandering DMS. Uh, massacre Bloody Massacre Apron Which is Which is my Official garb For Wandering DM's Cooking shows yeah. uh, This is the second one I will say In season two Of Wandering DM's We had a show On food uh, In which I made uh, uh, I made uh, uh, The Wandering DM's Famous White gold Cookie recipe So There'll be a link Right There's a link In the description Here to go back And see that episode For Wandering <coughs> DM's White gold cookie recipe That's right I didn't make that today. I just made normal chocolate chip cookies. Right. And again, a, a, a small number of humanoids were uh, severely injured, and I, <laughs> unfortunately, I bloodied the apron all over again. I apologize for that. At some point, hopefully, you can get a, a copy of this on the Wandering DMs merch site. But at the moment, in the future, it's not available right now. Right. So anyway, so yes yeah, so we do have we do have a variety of, of foodstuffs that we can enjoy here today. So a lot of us I think part of what this was on our mind about was a lot of us our diet has changed radically right in the last year right uh and that's true for you and me because of the pandemic and you know we don't go out as much and you know when it first hit you, we were in you know we were in different cities when it when it first hit here right. in New York and so I was on my own here and there was a week or two where the grocery shelves were basically empty right didn't think I'd read about it growing up Uh, seen that as a a foreign country kind of thing to happen thank God we live in America and then March of 2020 comes and I actually do go to the grocery store and the shelves are in fact two thirds empty right and all the stuff that I normally get I can't get that particular day right Um, didn't last that long fortunately but that was an interesting that was an interesting moment to experience but I'm going to have to literally change my diet here in the grocery store pretty radically right so um so thinking about the middle ages Mm -hmm. what what were the main thoughts about the middle ages about diet and health Mm -hmm. and how different or the same are they with with how we think today
1: okay so um i think we can't really talk about food without talking about you know uh again you know the, the the four humors uh that's basically steeped into medieval medicine right right so basically the idea is that your body has to be in balance you have four humors that are basically completely taken out of the uh, greek texts of the four elements and kind of like you know put into their own sauce of the medieval ages you know christianity is trying to establish itself they're reading the ancient texts but they kind of want to put their stamp on everything so you know the four elements because you know become the four humors wow um so you have black bile, yellow bile, phlegm, and blood, right? right? And That corresponds to the four elements.
0: You know, let's uh, talk, let's talk, let's talk about yeah. that in a little bit more depth. That's okay. Sure. So so yeah, so it's amazing that the the medieval conception of the body and what you ought, ought to eat comes directly from you know Aristotle's right elements, and uh, so I think each one was was correlated with. Uh, uh, wet or dry, and hot or cold. That's right. So can, you, can you tell me which one is which? Yeah, so I'm yeah. I'm gonna have to read my notes because right. I'm you know I always right. forget.
1: So um, black bile is actually cold and dry, Right. and it's associated. It's associated with earth. Yep, yep. Uh, uh, yellow bile is associated with warm, dry, so mm-hmm. it's fire. Lungs, yep. uh, I mean uh, phlegm. I'm sorry, is uh, cold and wet, yep. and that's water, and then blood is associated with warm and wet, and that's air.
0: You yeah. passed the quiz. So Isabel, Isabel gets 100% on the quiz about, about bodily humors yeah. versus Aristotle's right. elements. Wonderful. Right. Well, and but. so
1: all of these have to be in balance. If you have right. any kind of imbalance between those four things, right. and they're each associated with a particular organ in your body and with a particular emotion. Okay. So it's not just a physical self, but it's also an emotional self okay. um, that, you know, keeping everything in balance, not just your body, your your physical well-being, but your emotional well-being is going to be very important. So black bile is associated with depression. So if you have too much black bile, you're going to be depressed. If you have too much yellow bile, you're going to be angry. Okay. If you have too much phlegm, you're going to be more reserved and timid. And if you have too much blood, um, you're going to be a little bit more, uh, too active, too enthusiastic. Okay. Okay. So all of those things, you know, are, are really important.
0: Can you have all four at the same time? Can you, hit, can, can you, can you have a hyper amount of all four all the time simultaneously?
1: I don't see why not. Okay, yeah. good, <laughs> good to know, good right. okay. to know. I'll have to, I'll have to read my, my medieval text and, <laughs> and get back to you on that. <laughs> but what's interesting about all of this is that food are also associated with, you know, those four humors. So particular foods also have particular qualities of, you know, uh, cold dry, warm uh, warm, dry, cold wet, okay. and warm wet, okay? So depending on what your body is doing and depending on what kind of imbalance that you have, you know, particular foods are gonna help you rebalance the humors, you know? Um Give, so, me, a, give me a specific example I'm gonna give it, you like, a specific, yeah, yeah. specific example because, you know, at the time when the plague hit, So, you know, when the plague, it was really, what's really fascinating. So they don't know why it's happening. And there's Uh all kinds of, you know, um, discussion about why it's happening, but what they do know is that it's a contagious disease. They are aware of the fact that it's something that's contagious. Okay. All right. So it's a real disease. We don't know why it's happening. We don't know how to cure it, but you know, it can spread if you're near someone or if you smell putrid air. Um, It's it's going to uh, affect you. Also, they think that if you are uh, close to body. So if you have warm, moist imbalance, so if you're too warm, too moist, you are more likely to get the plague. Okay, so there's a compendium the epidemia that's written in 3048 that's basically going to give you a plague diet. Um, to kind of, pre- so it's not going to cure the plague, but it's hopefully going to prevent you from getting the plague. All right. So it's going to be a lot of cold, dry elements um, to kind of rebalance and, and counteract the warm, moist body that's more likely to get the plague. Okay. So I'm going to read some of it because you yeah. know I think it's it's kind of interesting. And so each food is associated with, you know, an element. And so you're going to, you know, for us, you know, it doesn't necessarily make logical sense, you know, but at the time it, it does. Um, so the plague diet, basically you have to avoid all fruit. Huh. You have to roast your meat and cook it with spices. So the idea is that if you roast your meat, it's going to become dry cold. Okay. Okay. Um, you are going to drink vinegar and something called ver juice, which is uh, unripe grape juice.
0: Okay, let me just back. Drink vinegar. Drink like vinegar. Like a big heaping cup of vinegar. A big
1: heaping cup of vinegar. So uh, the idea is that with your meal, you might have a glass of vinegar. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, and vinegar is considered cold and dry. Okay. You know, it's a liquid, but it's considered cold and dry liquid. Okay. Okay. So a lot of people not only uh, uh, drink vinegar with their meal, but they also wash the entire homes with vinegar. And they will also go around putting vinegar on a little piece of cloth and have it on their on their face um, so that they avoid smelling the putrid air, you know, and get infected that way
0: i mean that isn't isn't that isn't that currently isn't don't people still do that in cases of like you know public protests where they might have to deal with tear gas or stuff like that i feel like i've seen that's possible i think yeah, i've that's, seen that's like possible. i think i've seen people like take cloth and vinegar in right order to like but but you there. know
1: vinegar is considered a really great cleaning product. if you want to you know have yeah. green products in your home yeah. you know a lot of people actually wash their you know their their kitchen with vinegar yeah, yeah. um yeah. so you know that you know so it's kind of interesting that way that you know we we still have some of that stuff, yeah. you know, yeah. um, and, and, you know, and there's a lot of, you know, if you look at traditional Chinese medicine, too, um, there is a lot of stuff that you can do to kind of rebalance the body to avoid um, getting sick. Right. So, you know, everything is about keeping keeping balance and food and what you eat, what you drink and how you feel is going to really affect your, your physical well-being and how well you can fight diseases. Okay. so and that's still practiced a lot today, yeah. you know? Um, so I thought that was really interesting. Um, uh, you also had to eat sugar, which was extremely expensive because of right. course, that had to be imported. So something for the nobility, something for the nobility, they do it yeah. a lot easier. So, you know, and, you know, and a lot of that, you know, obviously, you know, people who are, you know, the common folks, you know, can't afford, you know, they can't afford spices. All those are important from, you know, the Middle East and North Africa and Asia. Right. Um, uh you know uh, they don't really eat a lot of meat they don't really have you know uh you know the the you know the money to really mm-hmm. buy the meat mm-hmm. and you know and bocaccio's in introduction actually talks about um how expensive all the food is getting you know so there's like hyperinflation there's yeah. no one working the field everybody's dead yeah. right so there's actually food shortages and therefore food is becoming extremely expensive And actually, probably for the first time, the nobility is also, you know, coming up with those food shortages, just like we were in March. You know, like everybody's confronted with that, you know, that there's just basically no food available because no one is working the fields.
0: Which feels like, you know, so obviously now we have industrialized agriculture and a lot of it's mechanized. But I mean, as you say that right now, it feels like a whisper of the the frontline workers being grocery workers for us in 2020. And if if they get sick, nobody's going to get food. And the rather large problem of of protecting them properly, where all of a sudden that became like the most important people working Right. Uh for us. Right. And obviously the, the black death situation is a hundred times worse than that.
1: Sure. Um, but if you remember at the beginning um, of the pandemic, there were uh, big outbreaks in uh, meatpacking plants. Right. Yep. Right? right. 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 And right. so, you know, right. everybody right. got sick. Yep. Nobody right. was really protecting their workers right. properly. Yep. And, you know, all of a sudden,
0: right. no
1: meatpacking plants because right. nobody can work. You know, I mean, you do need skills. And if everybody's sick, you know, it's not like you can, you can replace people very easily. Right. Um, so we, you know, we 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 did come up with some shortages as well, some food shortages. You know,
0: I meant yeah, okay. So I meant to I meant to mention this to you completely separately earlier this morning. But you know, there's a news story today of that. There's a legal you know there's a legal fight between uh, the New York Attorney General and Amazon right now mm. about whether Amazon is properly protecting their right. workers and warehouses right at right. the moment. And there was an announcement of uh, of. A, a lawsuit in the, in the reverse direction actually of Amazon attempting to prevent the New York attorney general from in, enforcing the laws. as a matter right, of fact. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I
1: think, I think from my personal experience, I can tell you the okay. answer. We're not going to, anyway, we're, we're not going to get in into here. this right now. We're not going right. to get into right. politics right now. Right. right. You know, that was yeah. me. That was an opinion yeah. only from Dan Collins. Nobody else. And I have nothing to do with. Yeah. So, so, so this is the plague diet that's basically prescribed to, uh, the, you know, the people who can afford it. Right, right. Uh, but, uh, you know, and how, you, you know, like I said, how you cook, how you cook your, your food is going to be, um, is going to affect, you know, yeah. the, the particular humors. Um, so what I thought was interesting when I was doing some research too, is that there was also the belief that depending on who you are, you know, so if you're the nobility or if you're a common folk, your body actually doesn't need the same thing. Crazy. Right. Okay. So if you're a refined person and, you know, uh, you know, you're noble or whatever, you know, your body actually doesn't need the same thing as a common folk. So if you're a laborer and you're coarse and, you know, kind of brutish, your food should be that, so, you know, you should coarse have... Coarse and simple and brutish. Coarse and simple right. and brutish. But if you're from the nobility, you know, everything is going to be more refined. You know, things are going to be, you know, chopped up in little pieces. And, you know, it's, it's going to be a very different diet. You know, and obviously you can afford it. You know, you right. can't afford the spices and the meat and all of that. Right. Um, and didn't, so, didn't
0: I hear you say something the other day? Like, like the, the, the peasants were expected to eat things from the dirt, like potatoes and turnips and the the elite were the nobility were expected to th- to eat things from the aerial realms like fowl and bird
1: well uh- Okay, was, a couple of things. So potatoes okay. haven't arrived yet, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, uh, but was, no, that was a discussion with my with my father because when um, I always forget. Frankly, <laughs> I always forget that. So as someone you know
0: from an Irish descent, an <laughs> right. Irish American family, I, like, like, potatoes they didn't have potatoes. Them. What are you talking How did you live? What are you talking about?
1: No, what, what, the discussion that I had with my father is when, when potatoes were introduced because they, they grow underground. Nobody wanted to eat them okay. because they were close to hell. Oh, because they oh, grew on the great, ground great. Right? Living, on the so, yeah, <laughs> living on the edge yeah living on the edge yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it, I think it was in the article in the, uh, the that first New York Times article uh, what we eat during a plague right. where he was actually um, the author was actually mentioning that that you know uh, if you were you know again the difference between the two right. diets if you were from the nobility you know you would eat you know games and fowls like things that were you know lightened from the air and if you were you know, uh, dirty a peasant, peasant. <laughs> you are a dirty peasant, you know, you, 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 you ate something that was closer to the ground. Right. You know, so, I, you know, and in my research, I haven't confirmed or denied that. Understood. So, you know, um, so I don't know. Um, so, but what what's interesting is when I was doing this research, so the nobility eats, uh, you know, bra- bread made from wheat, mm-hmm. right? And that tends to be a whiter bread. And then the peasants are eating, uh, you know, bread that's made from millet and rye and something else. Uh, if I can look at my uh, barley, maybe? barley, yeah. right? And what's interesting is that now there's like a resurgence of what's called ancient grain, yeah. right? And so we're looking at things other than wheat to make bread and looking at the nutritional value and actually rye, barley and millet are actually considered, you know, part of the ancient grain family. And they have way more nutrition than wheat, you know, especially if it's uh, if it's uh, if the flour is very white, Um, you know, it's it doesn't have as much nutrition. And there's actually, you know, and we'll put a link in, in, you know, unfortunately, the the video is in French, but there is a baker in France that actually is growing 8000 year old grain and milling that himself and is making bread that basically has all the nutrients that you need. And people will come from like fifty miles, you know, to buy his bread on Sunday because it's not only delicious, but it's also um that has very little gluten and has a lot of nutrition. So it's interesting twenty five kilometers by the way. No, hundred no, kilometers. No, hundred kilometers. Oh, God, hey, God. Yeah, oh, what? see, I'll
0: cut that out of post. <laughs> nope. Anyway, but but the point about the <laughs> the point about the live well, the tape, um, but the point about the, uh, the 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 ancient grains to get like the full nutrition content is really amazing. I, I, again, of course, I love that commitment to. Oh yeah, uh, digging into the historical simulation reenactment. Of course, right. And, you know, I mean, as, as a little aside, like, I actually would like, like, I've actually pursued, uh, you know, uh, breads with that kind of advertising, actually. And the problem is they they always throw flaxseed into it,
1: right? <laughs> and, unfortunately, it's the one
0: and only thing that I'm actually allergic to, right, which right. shocks everybody that hears, that, that any doctor that hears that. But, unfortunately, I'm allergic to flaxseed, and they always throw that in, so I generally can't. I haven't found one of those ancient grain breads that I can actually have to date. Yeah.
1: Well, and the problem is, it's you know, they're very expensive, too. Yeah. Uh, so the, the plants themselves are much more fragile than wheat. So you can't really mechanize, you know, the whole um, um, cultivation process. Okay. And okay. they yep. don't okay. yield as much. Okay. You know, so, you know, for the same amount of land, you're going to have a lot less flour. Right. You know, you're going to be able to mill a lot less flour. Okay. Okay. So, you know, it's on a large scale, it's not possible. And, you know, and, and you do, it will cost you more money. Um, well,
0: it's interesting to think about because, of course, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, food and agriculture, the modern, the modern era. And at some point, the conversation comes around to a monoculture. Right. Is as people have identified a crop that grows more abundantly and they can make a better profit out of. They have concentrated on just that one crop. And unless, unless I'm misinformed, I mean, all bananas now all have, are all clones, all have exactly the same DNA. From some one herb banana some number of years ago.
1: And they're all dying. They all have the same
0: disease. Exactly. And then, and then you have, they're, they're fragile. On the one hand, as long as it works well, they're the most profitable thing. You've optimized, maximal profit right. but on the other hand they're fragile in the sense if you get a disease that hits that one thing it could wipe out the whole crop done. right so does it does it sound like if you went to a medieval village um, cropland they'd have a much larger variety of different different plants there that I can't again I can't I can't I, I was trying yeah.
1: to find actually yeah. information on that and unfortunately you know it's not a field of study that a lot of yeah. people are super interested in you know it's not like this very sexy thing right like, um so I, I can't really confirm that. Jeez, um,
0: you didn't complete your research for I this episode? I didn't
1: complete the research, I know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> no, I just, couldn't find, I just couldn't find the information that I was looking for. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I think I'm disinvited. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because again, the, the, the baker I was talking about in France, right. you know, when he's growing... Is an eight thousand year old yeah. uh, wheat plant. Yeah. Um, it's called um, einkorn. I think is. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm butchering the name. Um, I, I get... see what you did there. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's einkorn. Okay. So um, uh, it's called uh, la petite poutre in uh, in French. Um, so, and I'm not sure how widely it was used in the middle ages you know i'm not sure like i don't think we had they had the monoculture that we have now there's probably a lot more variety by region yeah um but i'm not sure like how far they were from that particular ancient grain Uh, but my suspicion is that you know actually you know so we talk about the um the peasant diet being mostly bread but i think the bread was actually better than the bread you know better for you than the bread that we eat now gotcha gotcha you know, I, you, you know as, as long as we're thinking about
0: food and how things evolve over time, I mean, you know, one of the things that I think of is, because I you know, I grew up on a farm in, <laughs> in rural Maine, is, and we had, you know, we had wild strawberries in, just in the oh, field. So we'd yeah. go out and and, you know, it wasn't grown. We weren't intentionally trying to grow. It just grew there naturally. But they were tiny. They're tiny, right? They were yeah. teeny tiny. They were smaller than my little fingernail, yeah. like quite a yeah. bit. They were teeny tiny little things. And, you know, I i guess i'm of the age that i've seen i go to the grocery store and the strawberries in the grocery store have grown bigger and bigger and bigger (laughs) and bigger over time and now i go in the grocery store and i'm like there's some kind of frankenstein monster (laughs) strawberry sitting in front of me right and you know they get a little bit less flavorful over time oh it's like as they get inflated like that they actually get less inflated and so i try to avoid the big giant fruit you know, and try to find smaller stuff. Frankly, right. and I go yep. in the grocery store, and there are days when I think about the the, the intense level of flavor that the teeny tiny little natural strawberry right. had. Right. That you don't get, but again, it's it's, it's you know corporatively profitable, and it sure. looks like you're being impressed by look at how big our fruit is.
1: Sure, and and also you know they're growing out of season. You yeah. know, nobody yeah, buys right. locally. It's a bit, you right. know, and if you do want to go back to that, and you know, again, right. it's an expense issue. Right. Right. You know, because if I want to just Cook food that's grown locally and in season. Right. Rather, well, you know, I'm going to have to like really think about my menu. It's going to be a little bit harder. Yes. that's And true. it's going to cost me a lot more money. Right. You and know. you're going to
0: have to adjust it every season. So you you're going go like, to be oh, yeah, like, Now it's spring it. right. and it's fall. And what am I doing now? Yeah. Right.
1: Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, if we, if, you know, we, we have a lot of green markets around New York. Mm-hmm. And if you go buy, you know, local, uh, yeah. locally grown strawberries, you know, which are basically just available in June. Right. Um, they're going to taste a lot better, but they're going to cost you probably twice as much. Yeah. So, you know, it's just kind of like, where, you know, where I, you are know, your priorities? I stumbled in into this.
0: Yeah. I actually just stumbled into this yesterday, actually, because I, I went out to shop. And actually, what I what I initially planned for last night was to make uh, stuffed shiitake mushrooms, right? And I right. go in the store. It's like, well, that's not in season. We don't have that. Right. Like, dumb, you know. Right. I should have thought of that. Right, right. Uh, and, and, and as part of like modern you know, society, we assume everything's on tap. Right. I can go to I can go to Amazon and I can order <laughs> anything that I want, any time that I want, right? She and do I can right. I can pull up any any media, any right. product, any, you know, digital book that I want, and um, uh, that the the natural world doesn't work like that. Right, right. And sometimes like, sometimes I forget. Right, right, right.
1: Um, so Let's go back to medieval dieting a yeah, little yeah, bit. Please. So um, when I was researching this, you know, like, again, you know, between the reactions that we're having with COVID and some of the stuff that we've actually inherited from medieval times, you know, I think there's um, this belief that, uh, you know, the middle ages with the dark ages that were ignorant and, you know, it's like we've, we've come so far from, you know, how they lived And I think that, you know, there's a lot of commonality that, you know, that I found that, you know, was kind of like really interesting. Right. So one of the things that, that I, when I was researching like medieval diet outside of, um, uh, outside of the disease, you know, outside of what was happening with the plague is that um, they actually felt like digestion was still part of the cooking process. Right. So food was not, you know, food didn't stop cooking, you know, up until, you know, you, you finished digesting it. And so there's a connection between the food and your body, um, that we've actually inherited some of the processes that, you know, they had in, in eating food, some
0: of the cooking processes,
1: some of the eating processes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, so basically they thought that you had to start the meal by opening up your stomach and you had to close the meal. By shutting down your stomach, okay. so you open you open the stomach and you close the stomach, and you open the stomach with an apéritif, okay, and you close the stomach with a digestif, okay. So a digestive and then an, you know an apéritif. I don't know, you know, it's it's, it's like a it's, cop, it's cocktail right. hour basically. Right. Okay. All right. Okay. So you know if you if you if you have a very traditional French meal, you know. You will serve an aperitif, so it's going to be a cocktail with like, you know, maybe a little finger food for your, for your guests. And you're going to close it with a digestif, which is going to be a really strong liqueur, like a cognac or, um, uh, you know, armagnac or something like that, or, or a pear, pear liqueur, you know. And that's how you're going to end the meal. And then how the meal is served is going to go from very light um, uh, uh, course to very heavy. So you're gonna start with a soup, maybe it's gonna be followed by a fish, then a white meat, then a dark meat, then the cheese, then the dessert, right. right? So, and all of this is actually how people ate at a medieval table. And again, you know, I'm talking about the nobility, not, you know, not the people who were just having bread and gruel, you know. Um, but, you know, I thought it was very interesting that the, the way the, the the meal was constructed is actually still the way a traditional French meal is served you know and I've spent many many uh hours probably too many hours at Sunday meals at my grandparents place where that was basically the meal and it lasted like three or four hours Right. right and you just like had you know light meal okay and so this so is remember, remember, the cat this yeah is, we, this so, it. so our ca- unfortunately <laughs> our
0: cat can't get into where enorm- he speaking of eating
1: speaking of eating the our, cat can't get his food
0: unfortunately can't get, get can't get into his normal buffet zone <laughs> actually let me just, okay let me just let me just help out, okay, help out the guy.
1: how about how about yeah help, yeah, yeah. help the guy out you know okay. have your food that problem is solved have your medieval food now he doesn't want it anymore he's not he'll, interested he'll he'll <laughs> he'll discover it so
0: i, I i'm i feel i i apologize for, oh, no, for, no, for, no, the, for for cutting off the thought but but we ha- so you, you you're saying that that the the, the structure of um a, a, a modern day french meal comes right out of medieval
1: 14th century or earlier practices. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I was reading that, I'm like, my God, this is exactly what the Sunday meals were like. Right. You know, and, you know, n- nobody would serve, like, a uh, red meat before they would serve fish. You know, that's just unheard of. Sans se pas? That's
0: a plus one point. <laughs>
1: so I just thought it was kind of interesting you know, that we've inherited, you know, some medieval tradition about how we eat yeah. you know and you mm-hmm. know it has nothing to do really with your health or right. you know like the thought of like you know you know it's more with the taste rather than you know with your physical well-being you know but you know the fact of the matter is you know right. that's that's how the meal was structured and then the other interesting thing that that you know was a parallel between then and now So, and we're gonna put uh, some links on uh, medieval cookbooks that I found. Um, And there was one medieval cookbook called Le Viandier. And basically the cookbook, and it's not, uh, you're not gonna really find like recipes of like, you know, cooking time and temperatures and you know, how many ingredients you need. You know, it's it's more of like not a Not that
0: they not that you had an oven at the time to set to three twenty five, you didn't have yeah, it was was like
1: oh, here's some stuff. we put together. Stuff, put it in the fire. Right. <laughs> um And but, watch it. And watch it. And <laughs> make sure that it's okay. Um but uh, oh, oh. So here's, <laughs> here's, here comes the cat. Here's our cat, you may, There,
0: there are other shows where you see his tail kind of cross in front of. So maybe you should come over here, buddy. You can come. Over. Your buffet is available. Over there, so. <laughs> Wonderful. So glad we had a guest. guest nice, shot nice little guest shot. <laughs> okay. um,
1: so, uh, so the so the book, you know, basically talks about you know how to basically cook the meal um but there's also a, a big section on how you present the meal how are you going to plate you know the actual meal that you're making right. and if you think about you know us going to restaurants and doing fine dining that's a huge part of the food industry now that's a huge part of the restaurant industry mm-hmm. how you're going to present the food you know if you go to mcdonald's it's going to be in a little you know paper box and that's fine you know that's you pay three bucks for that that's what you expect but if you're going to pay you know forty dollars for an entree you know you wanted to have like a really special presentation so the media that you know we're we're still kind of like in the same zone the same medieval zone in how we want to enjoy our food you know how we want to actually um have the experience of eating um so you know i thought that was just kind of a, a very interesting little tidbit um it's you know that book
0: of course it's funny that you picked that out because of course you you and i have had an experience of our mutual sensibilities evolving over time is that me as an american and and again one from a very rural location of like the food's on a plate bam right kablam it's like off the barbecue (laughs) bam it's on a food on a plate in a pile great um and you know when when we started to you know have dinners together like you were constantly you know commenting on well what's the presentation like where's how are things located and what's the overall design what's the presentation like and i had never thought of that before but of course you know now it being you know just a little just a tiny little bit ocd now i'm that's on my mind all the time frankly and i'm and i'm glad that it is as a matter of fact it's like i think that maybe you know maybe had a little bit of an instinct for that that i wasn't allowed to express but of course like even these cookies right so so isabel took the the cookies and the brownies and laid them out in a hexagonal pattern <laughs> right i didn't i didn't ask for it. i don't know if you realize how perfect that is for you know for our gaming show uh and i'm like i wouldn't have thought of that myself but well i'm so glad the cookies are in a hexagonal shape that's awesome um so it's, so it's something that we talk about, you know, that you talk about, I should say, a lot. Right. And it's funny that you're seeing it there. in that cookbook, which, of course, was, I think, for upper class dining, right? Oh, of course. Middle Ages, French, right. you know, for the royalty. Right. And the other cookbook that you spotted was uh, The Form of Curie. Right. Right. Which, which, is which is in
1: English so that, you know, because I think Le Viandier, you said you, you couldn't, we couldn't find it in English. Yeah, I couldn't. Um, I didn't and, try very hard, but anyway. um, but, oh, the, but the, the other one is in English, so right. you can you can actually get right. a, a better sense of like what medieval cooking was like. Right, and and now. this and
0: and the, the the form of Curie, the the English medieval language uh, book, is from 1390. That's where I got the 1390 date from. Oh, yes. Okay, gotcha I, gotcha. I was thinking about this cookbook actually that was written by the master cooks of King Richard II. Oh, very good. Right. So again, you know, middle ages technology. So not, not you know, three milligrams of this and two cups of that, and for thirty five minutes. And you know, and as
1: a matter of fact, you know, a lot of people didn't have their own kitchen. You know, or you know, definitely not their own oven. So you know, an oven, you know, probably would have been part of the the bakers guild. So you could go and you know, bring you know, maybe you brought like a certain number of you know flour and they would make the bread for you or maybe you brought the dough you know so most people didn't really have a cooking kitchen like you know you think about now you know definitely not an oven you know it's a fire hazard all the houses are made of wood so you know it's like a very you know uh, special place that you know okay um, uh, highly qualified people are attending Uh, you might have it you know a fireplace and so, you know, most of the food might be cooked over, you know, the right. fire on the fireplace. Right. So, you know, things that are more like roasted or in big pots that you can hang over over the fire. So, you know, you, your cooking is kind of limiting, limited, you know, what you can do um, if you're, you know, more of like a, the lower class. Uh, See,
0: that's a detail that I would want in my my D&D world. Right. So so that's that's a kind of detail that I like learning about this kind of history and including it describing the the mundane parts of the world where there's normal people living in a normal village and there's not a lot of monsters rampaging around we, we we haven't seen people casting fireballs and i i want to include that kind of detail because i feel like i learned more about the real world and if i can share that with my players maybe it's a surprise maybe it's not right that you 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 you, you didn't have you know uh, you know uh, uh, an oven analog in your house and you had to go elsewhere right I would want to include that surprise in my world and it's funny because again as things have evolved I guess now we're starting to talk about you know bring this around to to how you would use this in gaming right you know I saw someone I saw someone on social media the other day ask the question in your D&D world do 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 houses have refrigeration right and you know, to you and me, that's not something I would think, or I would assume it would be a mistake or an anachronism. And you know, you can you can set a dial. Is your world totally fantastical and it has right. steampunk refrigeration? I don't know. You can do that. But for I think you and I both kind of like a game where the mundane world is very very much like a medieval world. Right. And the more that the more of an opportunity we get to dig into that, the more we learn about the real world. Right. Uh, right. um, so that's that. So I would I would want to use that kind of detail in my sure. my descriptions of the the normal parts of my world, frankly. Right, right Which right. which again sets up a contrast for the fantastical parts. Look more fantastical because of it. Right, right. Um, would be my would be my theory. Um, so the 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 idea that so among the things you're talking about with the food and to bring it into like the the disease and how so I'm always thinking about. How the cat climbs on top of <laughs> un, unexpected you places. You can't
1: see the cat, but he's actually uh, and, uh, getting very, very close to our technical setup. And he has an opportunity to get on a
0: counter that he's never gotten before. <laughs> Yally, that's really not a great idea. Um, so and yeah, he's you can gonna come go back, back over He's, he's, he's gonna come back on camera. Yeah, go, yeah, yeah. that's fine. <laughs> great. What a, what a wonderful. What a wonderful co-host. Um, and he's also going to climb up on me now. <laughs> Such a great coach. Um, so, so among the things you're talking about there is the belief that a lot of contagion, plagues, mm-hmm. were uh, delivered in the air. Right. Uh, which I think is, co- so here's one of these words that I've seen a million times, and I've never said it out loud until right now, uh, the miasma theory right. of disease, that it all came from, from diseased air and um so now he's on the stove <laughs> that's <laughs> okay. fine hunt around behind us um <laughs> and so so for what it's worth like i actually like in my dnd game like for things that are disease-based now i always make the the saving throw a saving throw versus breath right to kind of echo the fact that uh maybe in my game world uh, disease actually is being distributed through, through the miasma mm-hmm. and that it's, it's air and it's your breath and things like that. So I like to use a saving throw for, uh, for breath. And the disease, you know, is something that I wrestled with a lot trying to get into my games. And I feel like as we talk about the, the Black Death, the bubonic plague, and how incredibly important it was for this period of medieval history, mid 1300s that's about where like we kind of you take an average of everything you see in classic D d it feels like it's kind of 1300s ish maybe um and i kind of want you know disease effects in my game but i kind of struggle with how the best way to present it you know to the players or when it pops up or things like that so and then again you know as we as we talk sometimes about the Struggle between the original creators of D&D. There's different sensibilities there. The first disease rules, and I think these are things <clears throat> that you and I have discussed before. The first disease rules were written by Dave Arneson in the Blackmore Supplement to Original d and mm-hmm. And there, originally, it's all actual real-world diseases. Gotcha. And in classic Arnesonian style, it's very complicated. <clears throat> Pardon me. It's a complicated numbers and things like that. And that's the kind of thing Dave Arneson would do. But it was all a list of maybe about 20 real world diseases with specific triggers or places or things like this is the kind of thing you get from a swamp and this kind of thing you get from fleas uh a number of them noted food right so a number of them specifically said if you get contaminated food or bad food or you're in a food limited situation Mm -hmm. right this this is one of the diseases that you're likely you need to check against right now and that would include, was it dysentery, cholera, typhus, and typhoid fever were the things that were specifically food-related. Gotcha. And, as we, and, and if you spec- got in that situation, then there's a percentage chance you need to roll against it. You've got cholera or dysentery or typhus or typhoid fever or something like okay. that. When you move forward a couple years later to uh, first edition AD&D and, and Gary Gygax is writing, he takes out... The names of the specific diseases. He turns them into these abstract grab bags of effects. And so you're supposed to roll monthly. He even more briefly says food could be a factor. Like that's, even that's more words than he uses. Like factors could be contagious people or bad places or dirt or filth or food. That's all he says on the issue. Okay. And you get a grab bag of random issues of like you have something affecting your throat or your eyes or your limbs or your joints. And it's severe or bad or acute or chronic or something like that. And you don't get the actual names. Nowadays, you know, the diseases that you see in DD are all fant- fantastical. They're all mm. fictional. Right. And that started, like, I think in third edition is the first time I saw that. Okay. So nowadays in modern fifth edition d and the, the example diseases that you could possibly run into include sewer plague or sight rot (laughs) or cackle fever (laughs) stuff like that totally you know made Made up up fantastical Uh things uh and when we talked about that before you asked the question like well why why did they do that you've got you've got actual diseases and arnison wrote about them and you kind of have this immediate many of us have this immediate immediate recognition factor right right if i said you know the plague
1: you know what you're gonna get. Right. Play, I would assume
0: <laughs> I get a jolt out of players, which I right. as a DM I kinda want. Right. Why would they do that? And and the the my my stab at the time was, you know, maybe the real world diseases are triggering. Right? Maybe, maybe, maybe you you've maybe that's actually like a trigger issue, and you've you either have loved ones or you've suffered from one of these real right. diseases. And maybe maybe we don't want that to pop up sure. in our entertaining game sure. anymore. Sure. The second thing I thought, of course, was now it's an IP issue, is that you've invented a brand new fictional thing, and now it's intellectual property right. that the game company <laughs> can possibly uh, uh, own uh, uniquely and profit from. Right. But, you know, that, that ties back to, the first item ties back to the, you have the worst possible thing happening in the Black Death, the stories we will tell maybe the maybe start with the most fantastical, crazy, silly stuff we possibly can have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And so maybe the the hardcore <clears throat> diseases maybe people don't want to hear about in their games anymore. Right. And they want silly, fantastical made up stuff. Maybe
1: that's possible. Yeah, that's possible. <clears throat> um,
0: it's not my first instinct in the game. Right. I prefer to have stuff that's concrete, immediately recognizable, even if you're not you you come to it. You've never played D anD D before, and I say you've caught dysentery, <laughs> right? Uh, or you've got yellow fever, and you at least have some kind of you have some kind of instinctive cultural recognition that that's bad. Sure. Without needing to know the, as people call it now, the lore of D anD D to know that cackle fever is a bad thing.
1: Right. But I think. Um you know, I I, I think, you know, different players and different DMs are going to, you know, have different sensibility. And I think there's a wide range and that's, I think that's perfectly fine. You know, like, you know, your players, you know what they want and what they don't want, but I want to kind of like bring it back to 1348, because Mm -hmm. I think that is something that could be used in a game, you know, about diseases that I, I think is kind of interesting. So again, you know, they don't know why the plague is happening and there's different theories as to why it's actually happening that they feel is completely they're not contradiction you know like they they're completely widely different theories but they're not they don't contradict each other in the medieval mind um so the first uh explanation as to why it's happening is that it's a punishment from god you know okay. we've been bad it's a punishment from god you know and you know we need to clean up our society um and this is what we get uh, as a punishment for not, for not being good Christians. The second theory is that it's just the alignment of the stars, oh. you know, and they're aligned in such a way that it's just going to bring a catastrophic event, okay. right? So there's nothing you can do okay. about it. You know, the stars are the way they are and something horrible is going to happen. And it's just so happened. It's the plague. And then the third explanation is that there's been some sort of earthquake, or some sort of natural event that has released putrid air. And that's what's contaminating um, Europe. And that's that's why the disease is actually progressing and killing people. You know, so those are the three theories that I think, you know, obviously they're not scientific in any way, but I think, you know, that's something that could be really interesting to use in a game in terms of like rolling for whether or not you get a disease, whatever disease you want to choose, whether it's real life or not. Um, and in, in that, actually, one. And I the, agree.
0: I agree. I think those. You know, I, I think, think those I think are think great those, places to put your hat on. That yeah.
1: Right. You know. You know, I, you know. Sometimes you know reality is like so much better than fiction. I agree. You know. So you know, in, in, instead of doing like this monthly, you know, whether or not you get right. a disease. Well, do, you know, whether or not there's an earthquake. And if there's an earthquake, maybe it releases bad gases Wonderful. that you know, um, you know, causes some sort of disease. Right. But can I say actually why the plague started? For real? For real? Yeah, For yeah real. tell Because yeah, I think that's interesting too, mm-hmm. right? So uh, the Mongolian army is laying siege to uh, the town of Kaffa, which is in the Crimean uh, Peninsula. Right. And the soldiers are getting sick. So the siege is not going very well. They know they're not going to be able to actually take the city. Um, they know that they have some sort of contagious disease. They don't know what it is. They don't know how to treat it. It's the plague. <laughs> <laughs> spoiler spoiler, Spoil- spoiler to the 14th century so they decide to leave but before they do that they take some of their corpses that have died of the plague and they catapult them inside the walls of the city because they know they're going to contaminate the people inside the city and yeah. they do as you do and so as those you know, you know so they leave you know and the people from the city starts you know back, you know, back to Italy, you know, some of the soldiers go back to Italy and slowly that disease actually, you know, makes its way up the Italian peninsula. Wow. Um, So, but that's how it actually started. So, you know, and that's actually kind of interesting too. You know, you can catapult something, uh, you know, and send, you know, maybe if you want to be gruesome, you can catapult a corpse, you can catapult something else, like maybe a dirty rag, (laughs) you know? (laughs) But so, you know, the origin of, this, of, of the disease itself, you know, and how the, the origin of the pandemic, you know, is, is in itself kind of interesting, that's you right. know, and it's something that you can probably also use in a game, that's you right. know, as to why disease yeah. is starting. So yeah. it's an event that's happening, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles away, you know, that probably nobody's really aware of, yeah. you know, and yet... You know, it's, a, it's, it's going to affect, you know, a couple of years later, it's going to affect everybody right. in Europe. So.
0: Yeah, I wrestle with those are great thoughts. And yeah. I think those are great things to reflect on, like how you could use, you know, what or, or, or I guess, you know, uh, what Paul would say, like, what's the purpose of this? What is the purpose of, right. of disease in your your game? And, you know, I've I've wrestled often between the Gygaxian. There's just a flat, there's a percent roll every month. Any particular person gets a disease. Right. That's it. Versus the Arnesonian, you need to go to a particular place in a particular situation, and then you might possibly get a disease. Right. And I think the the, the gamest side would be there needs to be a particular reward that you're you're gauging the risk and reward of do I get the magic thing right. and, and is it possibly disease me? Versus the simulationist end of there's just disease in the world and any good body could possibly right. get it. And maybe you know maybe a middle ground between that is maybe. Maybe one of these events. Right. Maybe, you know, for a simulation list like me, I might roll on a monthly basis to see if there is a a plague epidemic that hits the whole town, right? And then it's a situation where the whole party, everybody playing the game, all is aware of it and all has to deal with it all at the same time, maybe. Right, right. Um, Or, you know, maybe, uh, like, if you're playing an adventure like Death Frost Doom, uh, where there's one, like, there's one particular trigger that could possibly release it from the dungeon to the rest of the world right and then the rest of the world's all contaminated until you find some way of dealing with that right. so right. maybe one of those like big groundbreaking events whether it's from right. a divinity or astrology or an earthquake or somebody delving too deeply where they really shouldn't go. Yeah, nosing right? around in a dungeon yeah. and
1: opening, you know, something that they shouldn't yeah. open. Yeah, exactly.
0: And and you know, our experience in the last year. And again, we, you know, we're filming this 2021, and we're at the point where, uh, to touch back to something we said earlier on, we're at the point where vaccines are being rolled out. Um. Uh, we, I only know one person who's gotten it so far. Right. Most people we know haven't gotten it, and we you were you were looking today uh, yeah, to I try to, to to try to find a scheduled uh, event, uh, and couldn't find one.
1: Right. Now I've been looking for a month right. and I can't find and, anything.
0: And so the you know having grown up with the D and D the first edition D and D rules of just there's a flat percentage chance any month anywhere in the world gets a disease, but that's not how it happens. Right. Right now we know that there are these waves of pandemic. Right. Right. Where it gets released and it exponentially grows and we're all thinking about it and we all have to right. deal with it. And an event, it's, a, it's a worldwide community event. Right. That we're all thinking about. And it's not a flat, uniform distribution around the world all the time. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. And it's not, you know, it's not like a, you know, a monthly event that you're going right. to, you know, it's, those are, you know, like a pandemic is going to be pretty rare. Right. You know, and right. so, you know, I think you have to have like some sort of trigger yeah. um, to make it happen. Yeah. You know, so I think it's probably I mean, in in my opinion, you know, right. you know, rule to see if Mercury's aligned with Jupiter. Yeah. Yeah. And then if that happens then maybe there's a chance right. of a catastrophic right. event happening I mean, you're
0: not gonna set up like an astrological chart with right. constellations in a computer program <laughs> tracking it for your campaign world from year to year with a unique calendar system. You're not gonna do that. You'd have to be crazy. You'd have to be crazy. <laughs> You'd have to be crazy to do that. Right. Um, but uh, but I like it. I like it. I, I, you know, the the stories say that this is a world that's kind of brutish and kind of short, and it's kind of tough, and it's kind of special if you manage to survive it. And diseases right. rolling around is 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 part of the story that I kind of want to be right. to be in my game, frankly. Right. Right. Um, so uh so we're going. so this is a little bit little bit longer than a normal wandering DM sure, show Sure, but we knew,
1: but we knew that was going to happen. There, there's
0: one thing to, <laughs> at the end that I wanted to get to and that is that the Decameron talks about games.
1: Yes, right. Talks
0: about games as one of the op- So, Again, you the there's the the, no- the nobles are escaping from Florence. Right. They they're going to their country estate to get away from it and, and not think about it. And um Uh, So we we know where this is going. So I'm going to read the specific quote here. Right.
1: right? Can I can I say something in their defense? Actually, so the idea of them going to uh, their country estate, you know, again going back to the humors, you know, they're avoid they're trying to rebalance their emotional state too, in order to have better physical health. Okay. Right. So they are trying to avoid melancholia. They're trying to avoid you know, having excess black bile and being depressed. So the idea is not just that they, you know, escaping, but they also need to have, you know, a very quiet time, very pleasant and kind of uh, rebalance their emotion that will rebalance their physical health. So. And, you
0: know, I'll say this is something that like growing up, like in considering myself, I'm a rationalist and I only you know, <laughs> logic and that this is something that I actually kind of resisted. Right. But, but, you know, now, you know, now I understand that the, the, you know, not that it's a silver bullet either. You can't, you can't, you know, actually resolve a disease just by being, feeling good about it. Right. But, but your your, your emotional adi- positive attitude makes a big difference. It does. And when I've dug into things like outdoor survival
1: mm-hmm. and
0: trying to, you know, simulate wilderness survival in my games, I'd see over and over again, everybody admits that grit and resolve to live no matter what is the fundamental essence between managing to live a bunch of weeks and not. Right. Right. And so that the, the, the mental attitude towards Towards these things does make a big difference.
1: It does, right? And you know, it's not the only
0: thing, but it makes a big difference,
1: right? And I think we're talking about that more during COVID as well. You know, I think it's been very clear, you know, to people that you know your mental health and your physical health, You know, are really connected, right? You know, and 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 people being isolated or having a you know a much harder time, you know, if you you know you're losing those connections and you know that you're you're more likely you know to get sick. Yeah. So you know your yeah. physical health is going to yeah. suffer yeah. if your mental health is suffering. Yeah. So anyway. So this I'll is. Let you, I'll let you. So conclude. this is
0: line and and this popped out to both of us, right? This popped right. out to both. We wanted to talk about it, and here it's going to be here. We want. I'm I'm using this as kind of the the, the climax here. So this is lines one ten to one eleven, in the Decameron where they talk about they talk about games. Right. So. And and who the the, the queen Pampania. of the first day. Pampania, thank yeah. you, is is who's who's the, the leader of the first day, the queen of right. the first day, she's elected, says this here the air is cool and the prospect fair, and here observe our dice and chess. Take then your pleasure as you may be severally minded. But if you take my advice, you will find pastime for the hot hours before us not in play in which the loser must needs be vexed, and neither the winner nor the onlooker may be better pleased, but in telling of stories in which the invention of one may afford solace to all the company of his hearers. What an an interesting commentary. So so they start off by saying, we have dice and chess. Don't play that. Don't do that. Because someone's going to be happy that they won, and someone's going to be very unhappy that they lost, and we don't want that for anybody. Right. Instead, we don't want a game like chess, one of these old games like chess, where someone wins and someone loses. We want to tell stories right. where everyone can partake and have a great time. Right. And what a here we are again, right? right. So we this is this this episode will be airing one week after we had John Peterson. Talking about his new book, The Elusive Shift, and that is the Elusive Shift. Right. Is the two camps between games, war gamers, where someone's gonna win, someone's gonna lose. Like our show that we have on some Saturdays, <laughs> <That's> right? <laughs> where someone always wins, someone always loses, versus storytelling. Right. Where everybody's kind of in the same book and we can all appreciate the story. And the and the constant the the constant wrestling between those two poles in role-playing games. And D and D specifically, uh, and 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 as you, as you're the one that pointed out this morning, actually. So here we have D and D, the first role-playing game, which is kind of both. It's kind of both. It's kind of somewhere it's, in the it's middle. It's kind
1: of both. And you know, right? if you if you think about a lot of the campaigns that we've had, you know, with Paul when yeah. we when we play at uh, at Paul's house for his right. birthday, you know, um, we're all playing together. Yeah. You know, and you know yeah. the fact that we're all on this quest together. And, it, you know, there's not really competition between the players, you know, we're we're supposed to actually work communally, you know, to find mm-hmm. the solution to some sort of mystery, right. you know, that we're presented with, you know, and hopefully the, all the players will live. So, you know, in, in some sense, there's really not like a loser and a winner, you know, like you're, you're not really winning, you're just like solving a problem together. Yeah. You know and at the same time you know maybe the dm is going to tell you stories maybe you're going to tell stories to each other maybe we're going to try to embellish you know like what we're doing and you know it becomes part of the narrative you know so you know what an extraordinary game that's actually a little closer to what pampania is trying to tell them you know in terms of like feeling good about yourself you know like and and actually being more relaxing than you know a war game where you know there is a clear winner, usually me, and a clear <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now we, we are t- okay. To be clear, we're taping this uh, two episodes into Book of War season two, and we're currently tied. <laughs> we're currently the record is yeah. currently one to one. I did get the last game, last so we're season. currently even, La- Stephen. Yeah,
1: last season he won, but you in know, Book of War season two. But but you know, like uh, you, you know, it's it's just kind of an interesting, you know, again finding a parallel to what we're we're doing, yeah. you know, yeah. today of just yeah. like you know, I feel like D&D has a lot of storytelling. Even if you have something that's a little harsher, you know, and you know, where a lot of players, you know, might die on during the campaign, you know, it's still kind of a backdrop of like, you know, narrative, you know, about a fantastical world and, you know, and again, you know, maybe it's just like trying to solve, you know, some sort of mystery on, you know, and you go on a quest, you know. Um so it's closer to storytelling than, you know, chess,
0: right? I feel that like you can put the 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 I mean the, the, I think there's a dial that you can dial that in. Sure. And I'll I'll say, you know, modern, you know, modern like fifth edition style dnd gaming, you just you just nailed it, right? hundred percent right. right. It's definitely more about storytelling than gaming. And you know, for me again, I like I do like a as you know, I kinda like a hardcore game. Where, where sometimes, you know, sometimes you do lose. It's, it's on the table. Right. Um, and for me, like, again, when we play poker, uh, as we did in the, in the past, like, one of the things that I like to see play poker is learn how to lose, right? Learn, to, to learn and to see, to, me, to learn how to recover from a bad beat. Sure. Right? I did everything right. I made all the right choices and I got a wrong beat. Like, how do I learn in a kind of safe space to manage my own emotions when I do lose sure, because it's going to happen in real life and I kind of want that in my toolkit to be able to pick myself up and not that to to me that that's the only reason why I play poker
1: the only reason I play poker is this is
0: to see how my friends perform and to learn better to me right how to pick myself up in the worst situation Sure, and that's what I personally got out of old school D&D and that's why I, what i why i still that, that's the lesson that i like to, to to share to allow people to learn how to pick themselves up in a in a in a safer space sure Than the 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 kind of scary rest of the world
1: sure i frankly. mean you know yeah i i agree with you not yeah. i think not everybody's gonna have
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know the same desire mm-hmm. and the same personality sure. you know um but, but i agree with you that you know i feel games are yeah. you know opportunities yeah. to learn lessons that you can apply yeah. you know in in life yeah. um, but you know again not everybody's gonna is gonna have the same the same goal but how interesting is it
0: that here's pampania um queen of the first day in the decameron saying well we have dice and or we can tell stories you clearly gotta pick one how you can't have both yeah can't have
1: both that, that would be insane. End story. That would be crazy talk. What? And good food. You can't do that. And have a glass of vinegar with it. You. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> I have a big cup of vinegar. Nothing could go wrong. For
0: Valentine's Day. For
1: Valentine's Day. It's a big
0: cup of vinegar on Valentine's <laughs> Day. How wonderful. I have
1: some here if you want to. How wonderful. Some. Yeah, well, maybe off later. camera. Maybe,
0: <laughs> maybe off camera. So, so I think that's a good. That's probably a pretty good place to write. So, again, it comes here. We are coming back around to you know stories and helping us survive and games and and here once again, right at the camera, and it's like we have dice. You could consider that, but we don't. Want <laughs> it, we want everybody to lose. And of course, I remember being a kid. You know. When D and D was new, and people were like, you don't win, nobody wins. What is that? What kind of what crazy kind of game is that? What kind of crazy game is that? <laughs> um, and and here we are. So, is there anything that? Uh, so, before we wrap up, is there anything that you really wanted to get in today that we failed to hit?
1: Yeah, I think we actually yeah. talked about a lot of the okay. stuff. I did, you know, I had some stuff about pies, but you know, on, whatever, it's not that important. <laughs> we can talk about pies. <laughs> <laughs> future maybe
0: maybe Maybe we'll do do that like march maybe
1: like around march 14th (laughs) we'll do it
0: we'll do a we'll do a pie episode
1: well i mean you know the the stuff that we we really
0: or maybe on 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 june 28th on tau day we can do like a so we get the whole pie instead of just half the pie that's right sorry i cut you off
1: that is okay (laughs) <laughs> no, you know, of course we don't have to have to talk about, you know, post-plague society and how right, it's changed right, everything. And that's, you know, right. super interesting too. Yeah, um, right. But, you know, no, you know, I think I think I got everything, right. you know. And, you know, do look up the, the camera on web. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, I, I think that's a very interesting project. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you wanted to kind of like get your feet wet and, and, and kind of get thinking about that whole time period, um, that's a really good good place to start great great yeah. and we'll have a whole look for all the other links of other stuff that we talked about in the
0: description here on YouTube and uh, look for uh, Isabel's channel uh, Cow in COVID-19 the the, the puppetry <laughs> let, let's survive the plague through puppets uh, that you were
1: doing oh, through humor yeah it yeah. was all about humor you know trying to you you know, make go. sense of the pandemic there you go you know, we weren't you even mind. thinking about that we coming into the show that, but, but we, t- true. That's exactly we totally did doing. that here yeah, uh, yeah.
0: absolutely so uh, Isabel thank you so much You're for so welcome. Uh, spending your time here uh what a what a wonderful way to spend valentine's day that's right
1: <laughs> and now we can have cookies
0: now and we can ramen. eat the cookies wonderful awesome <laughs> so um all right i think i think this is good enough i think i think we can have you back Oh and good! Yeah, yeah. I'm no yeah. longer disinvited. Right, right. Yeah, you're officially reinvited. All right. Yeah, good job. <laughs> good job, awesome. So hope we'll have you back, and um, and of course we'll have more uh, book of war wargaming that we do together right. on Saturday nights. Um, and uh, I'm sure I'll I'll be I'll be talking more in the closing after I after I bookend this right with my framing device. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> so All right. anyway. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have Excellent. a good, uh,
1: happy Valentine's Day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, sorry. Yes, that is pretty good. So that wraps up our um, Eat, Plague Love episode. There we go. If you have any other thoughts you'd like to share with us uh, on those topics, please do so in the YouTube comment section. We would look at that. And while you're there, Please also look in the YouTube description for a link to Describe.com, our sponsor for this show. Describe are producers of finely crafted box text. They provide short, evocative descriptions to save you prep time in fleshing out new monsters or locations or new spells or things like that. They also have an instant search feature that you can use to find great descriptions for when your PCs go totally off the rails. Which we adore and we want, so frankly we want that. Uh, again, that's dscribe.com, D-S-C-R-Y-B.com. And if you enter the code WANDERING at checkout, you'll save 10% on any order. And also remember, of course, that you can like, follow, and subscribe to us, the Wandering DMs, on places like YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook and GitHub. And we have the handle Wandering DMs on all of those sites. Um, uh, you can also get audio podcast versions of our shows on all the top podcast providers and also on our website at wanderingdms.com and you'll also find our awesome merch store there as well. Finally, of course, thanks to all of our patrons who support us here at Wandering DMs for special events like this and all the other shows that we do. We could not possibly do all this stuff without your generous support. And if you are in a place that you would like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash DMs, where you'll find all of our different benefit tiers like extra chat with us in our private Discord server right after our show and right after this show today, as a matter of fact. This coming week, look for 10 Dead Rats on Thursday. Hopefully, uh, Isabelle and I will have another Book of War Wargame show Saturday night, we're hoping for. And of course, we are live here every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Paul will be back next week. So please join us both then for another thought-provoking
1: discussion.